Well, hey, my name is John Trapp, and I'm the RUF campus minister here at the University of Texas. Thanks for being here. We're so glad to have all of you here. Um, just a few quick introductions. That cute little pregnant lady in the back, give a wave. Cute little pregnant lady. That's my wife. Y'all all should know her. She's amazing. Her name's Chrissy. Not Christy with a T, even though I called her that like two weeks ago accidentally. So y'all can pray for our marriage. But uh, that's Chrissy Trap. And I'd also like to introduce you to uh, our two, we have two new RUF interns. So they're on staff with us for hopefully at least the next two years. And uh, they're both from Ole Miss. Uh, our guy intern is Andrew Davidson. Give away back there, Andrew. And then we also have Mary Henley Green. Mary Henley, where are you? Right there. All in the middle of them. Good job. Way to go. Good intern work. Um, y'all get to know them. Uh, they're here to, uh, to get to know you, to help you as you are getting started with this new year. If you want coffee, if you want to grab lunch with them, um, if you want to play Fortnite with Andrew, they would love to do any of those things with you. Um, he taught me how to play Fortnite. I got second place. First, first day I played, second place. Thank you. Thank you. I, uh, I never even shot the gun and immediately got killed by the guy who won. Anyway, um, we're really glad that you're here. Welcome to RUF. Um, here's the deal. If, you're, if you just walked in here and you're wondering, like, what is this thing that I'm doing? Um, RUF is a place where you can come and process your questions that you have about Christianity, about Jesus, about the Bible. And hopefully what makes this a safe place to do that, to kind of wrestle with your faith or think about these things, is at RUF we believe that we are all broken sinners. Like everyone here. Me, big time. Just get to know me. Um, We believe that Believers and unbelievers are alike are sinners and that we all are equally in need of grace, that nobody here has it all together. And so at RUF, what we do, we talk a lot about God's truth and about his grace. And uh, then we try to live in God's grace with one another. And so whether you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we're really glad you're here. If you're not sure you're a Christian, we're glad you're here. If you're not even sure you ever want to be a Christian, we're glad you're here. We're glad you're here. Did I mention that we're glad you're here? All right, anyway. This semester, what we're going to do is we're going to look, through, look at Jesus through the eyes of Peter. And the reason I want to do this, so we're going to kind of take a few different looks at Peter in the Gospels, in the book of Acts, and some of the letters he wrote. The reason I want to do this is because Peter, as you're going to find out, he's a total mess. He's a total mess. He messes up all the time. He's one of the biggest screw-ups in the Bible, which I think makes him totally relatable, at least to me, and hopefully maybe to some of you. And what you're going to find is that Peter is somebody who's arrogant, he's fearful, he's slow on the uptake, he fails Jesus time and time again. In short, Peter is kind of like us. And so since REF is a place where we try to meet Jesus, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the events that led up to Jesus meeting Peter for the first time and what happened when they met. So uh, before we do that, would you bow your heads with me and let's pray. Dear Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and that the meditations of all of our heart would be holy and pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. We thank you for this time now to gather around your word, and we ask that you would bless it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. um, Let me, uh, let's see, let me read our scripture reading. 
And um, actually, James Hickey was going to read the scripture. Where are you, James? Come read it. Come read it for us. James Hickey, everybody. Give it up for James. Totally. This is like growing pains here, guys. Sorry. James, drop some word on us. Hello. Oh, <laughs> Hey everybody, I'm James. Uh, so yeah, I'm about to read from John 1, 35-42, where uh, Jesus names Peter. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following, and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One out of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. Thanks, James. Great pronunciation of Cephas, too. That was awesome. Um, James Hickey, golf. Give it up for James. Um, so two, two questions that I want us to look at tonight. First uh, is a question that's straight from this text that James just read for us. It's the question, what are you seeking? And second is a question that's implied from the text, which is, what is your name? It's kind of the question that like, all the freshmen here have gotten asked, like, over and over and over again. What are you seeking? Which here would be like, what's your major? And what's your name? And that's kind of the question that Jesus begins with with his disciples here. What are you seeking? And what's your name? Um, before we dive into that, let me tell you a story that I think gets at some of this. So my wife and I have, uh, Christy and I have four kids. Number five coming in December. Again, like I said, please pray for us. Um, and uh, our oldest is Owen. He's in second grade. And uh, one of the fun things that happens when your kids get into elementary school is you get to meet their, um, their friends and then their friends' parents. And so um, there's a family that we've become really good friends with. They go to our church. They go to their kids in Owen's class. And so we've just gotten to know them. Well, <laughs> I knew that he was like kind of a big deal, but I didn't really know he was a big deal until um, I saw on the... I, was looking at the news and saw that there was a new Texas Supreme Court, a Supreme Court appointee uh, because one of the Supreme Court justices had stepped down and that the person who was nominated by the governor was my friend, who's like the new Texas in the Supreme Court. So uh, I was like, I texted him, I was like, dude, uh, congrats, I guess, like way to go. And um, he's like, yeah, thanks. Like, we'll send you, I'll send you an invitation to the investiture which is like when, um, I guess, a, a justice becomes like an official judge of the court or whatever. So <laughs> I remember I was like hanging out here with y'all. I was like dressed like this on a, it was like a Monday. And then like I was running late, like run and throw my suit on because it's like investiture day for my friend. And I drive up to the Capitol, find somewhere like really far to park and like run to the Capitol in my suit and get in there just like breathing hard and not really like knowing what to do. I've never been to anything like formal or important like this in my life. And my friend's going to do it. I'm excited. So I walk, I walk into to, um, like where the House of Representatives for the state meet. Like that's where it's happening. And uh, they were waiting on the governor to start it. So fortunately the governor was late too. And... Uh, 
I'm like, talk, I see a couple of people I know, I'm talking to them, and it's, I can tell everyone's like getting started, to, and I, I'm looking for a place to sit, and I see this like really choice looking seat about, I don't know, like really towards the front of the room, there's like a row of like, kind of like 30 chairs that are just kind of in the middle of the house that we're in, like the chamber, the chambers is what it's called, I think, and so I just like, I'm like, well, that's a good seat, I'll just go up and sit there. So I'll go up to this spot, and all of like the places where the, the representatives would sit are all around us, and we're just kind of in the middle, and I can see my friend and see his wife and kids that we know, and I'm like, man, this is, this is awesome. And so it's now like time to start the investiture, like Governor Abbott's in the room, and um, uh, Nathan Hecht, I think is his name, the Chief Justice, uh, yeah, uh, Justice Nathan Hecht, uh, who's been like on the Supreme Court for like 40 years, Gets up there and he starts. He's like starts welcoming people. And the first person he welcomes is um, Governor Abbott. Welcome to the investiture. And he stands up and everyone claps. And then he and then he goes. And here seated before me, we have all of um, the judges from our thirteen different circuits in the state of Texas. And he points to the row of seats that I'm sitting in. And then he starts calling out people's names, and they all start to stand as he calls their name. And, like, people clap for them. So, like, Justice Smith from District 1 and Justice Smith from District 1, like, stands up and everyone's like, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh. I am in the wrong seat right now. And and my friend that I convinced to come sit with me is, like, hating me right now. He's, like, elbowing me in the side. Like, I can't believe that we're sitting here right now. Like, this is a really official thing and we are, we do not belong here at all. We shouldn't be sitting here. And... They like started like, and we'd been talking to all these people sitting around us. We didn't know that they were all like important judges or whatever. And so they're all like standing up and they're calling out their names, they're calling out their names, standing up, sitting down, standing up, sitting down. And I was just waiting for them, for, some, for like the chief justice of the Supreme Court of Texas to look at me and be like, now who are you? And why are you sitting there? But I kind of was like ducking behind the, the woman in front of me and like trying to be small. And fortunately, he never said a word. And the person whose seat I was sitting in never showed up. And I got, got through unscathed and unshamed. But I was totally ready for it to happen. And it was like one of the scariest moments of my life. My heart was beating so fast. So I tell you that story because here's the deal. <laughs> I was seeking a seat of honor in that room. And I had, no, I had no merit to sit there. I had no merit at all to sit there. And it could have ended up in my total shame. Um, even though I was seeking that seat of honor. And my question for you tonight is, what are you seeking? What is the thing that you're seeking after? Because this is the question. When Jesus has these disciples come up to him and approach him, in verse 38, look, he says, he asks, what is it that you're seeking? Because this is, Jesus knows, this is, this is a question that really defines us. It defines who we are in so many ways. Um, it's the question so many of you have been answering as people ask, like, what are you doing at Texas? What's your major? What are you seeking? Some of you are undecided. You don't know what you're seeking. I was undecided at Vanderbilt. Let's go. It's okay. You're going to be all right. Although I don't know if it's comforting for you to know that I was undecided. But anyway, we can talk about that later. Um, But (laughs) yeah, sorry. Um, But this is the fundamental question of discipleship as these disciples come up to him. What is it that you're seeking? And I think that the reason that Jesus asks this question is because we are formed by the thing that we seek after. 
Because we seek after what we love. And nothing impacts you the way, the way that you live more than anything than what you love does. So much so that James K. Smith sums it up in his book titled, You Are What You Love. You are what you love. Whatever it is that has your heart, that's the thing that actually begins to control your desires, your actions, the things that you do. For instance, like, <laughs> I'll give you a personal example. Take somebody who loves sleep, who just treasures God's good gift of sleep, and then give them a newborn baby. And what you will find is that person who loves and treasures sleep will begin waking up at all hours of the night. They'll wake up at all hours of the night to help this crying person, this person who's spitting up, this person who needs their bottom wiped. They'll wake up. Why do they do that? The person who's like typically in a coma when they're sleeping. They do that because there's a greater love that is motivating them. Look, the same, the same is true with pledgeship. Pledges who are here tonight. Take somebody who treasures sleep. You love sleep. And now you give them something else that they love. This new organization that they're part of. And they will, you, you watch. You, someone will begin waking up at all hours of the night Cleaning up spit up just like me with my baby. Hopefully not wiping any bottoms, but you never know. No, 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 don't do that. But why is that happening? The reason that's, a, that that's happening is because your heart is set on this new thing that you're doing. It's a fun new thing. You're meeting new friends. Why you're, do, you're part of this because, and here's the thing, what you love, where you set your affections, it, it begins to motivate your actions. It's why um, the Proverbs say, above all else, Guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. This, was, this proverb was like weaponized against me like to not date when I was a little kid. Like, guard your heart, you know, like, be careful. That, the, <laughs> some of you relate to that. Okay, good. This, is, this passage is not about dating. It's actually about guarding your heart and your affections because whatever it is that you love will begin motivating your actions. Because we are creatures of desire, fundamentally. We're creatures of desire. You are not, no matter, <laughs> no matter what our culture may tell you, you are not primarily a thinking thing. And we really, since the Enlightenment, I'm going to get like philosophical here, but like since the Enlightenment, we have begun to think of ourselves as thinking things. Descartes says, you know, the father of the Enlightenment, I think, therefore I am. What is the locus of, of reality to Descartes? My thought. I think, therefore I am. But thinking the right way, having the right data, doesn't necessarily change your actions. Like, I have the data, trust me, I have the data in my head that eating a sleeve of Oreos and binge-watching Parks and Recreation for like the 15th time is not good for me, but that doesn't always control my actions, having the right thoughts and knowing that data. Because what controls our, our actions is what we love. And so that's the question that Jesus points to these disciples with when they approach him at this transitional time of their life, just kind of like where, where y'all are right now, a transitional time in your life you're figuring out who you're going to be and what you're going to do. And so Jesus turns to them and he asks, what are you seeking? 
And so my question to you tonight is the same thing. What are you seeking? Hopefully, maybe some new friendships. Maybe you're here seeking a, a great education so you can get a great job, so you can get a great house, so you can get a great whatever. Maybe you're here for some thrills. Maybe you're here for a Texas OU date. I'm just kidding. Freshmen, y'all won't start asking each other for at least like another week. It's fine. But um, I think I'm kidding. Um, anyway. But these, these potential disciples approach Jesus and he wheels on them and asks them, what are you seeking? Because, because whatever you are seeking will rule you. Uh, Andre Agassi, like great tennis player, multi-time champion. Listen to what he said in an interview about um, a biography that he had written some years ago about his relationship with tennis, the thing that he was seeking all of his life. During my childhood, I resented the prison of tennis. It brought an unbearable burden of performance that I couldn't live with. The misery was that I couldn't walk away from tennis. The burden just made me want to work harder, which made me resent tennis even more than I already did. I was stuck in my own little hell with no way out. As much as I hated tennis, I came to realize that it's all that I was. I came to the painful realization that I didn't so much hate tennis, but actually hated myself. I had no me apart from this sport that I hated and exhausted my life with. Let's close in prayer. I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing that you seek, it rules your life. And the, the tough part is you have to bet your life on something. Like, we are all pot committed, a poker player would say. We're committed. Blaise Pascal, a 17th century French mathematician and physicist, says it this way. You have to wager. You have to wager on seeking something. It's not up to you. You're already committed. You can't not bet your life on something. And so the question is, what is worth betting your life on? What are you betting your life on? Fun, maybe meaning, maybe it's an escape from your home right now. Maybe it's a second start and a new identity here at UT. Maybe you're even betting your life on being super religious or spiritual, and that's why you're here tonight. Like, I, I'm, I'm going to bet my life on being really, a really good person. But... What the Bible tells us, the news about ourselves, is that any bet that we place on ourselves is a bet that is going to end up in our failure. Romans 3, 10 through 11 says this, as it is written, none is righteous. Well, so much for like being good enough or religious enough. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Paul says no one seeks for God and Jesus has these disciples walk up to them and, he, and Jesus asks like, hey, what are you guys seeking after? What do you want? What are you looking for? And so then the question that you might be asking then is if, if no one seeks out for God, if I don't seek out for God, then why are we here? What are we doing? And I'm here to tell you that the good news of the Bible is that God seeks after you. That what 
what is said about Jesus in Luke 19.10 is true. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That the good news is not that you have to go out and find God or that you need to come to RUF and find God or you need to go to a church and find God. The good news of the Bible is that people who are a mess, who are a wreck, like Peter, we're going to find out. Like me, you're going to find out if you hang around me enough. People who are a mess... The good news of the gospel is that God goes out and seeks after them. If you'd asked Jesus the same question, what are you seeking? Our answer, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Why did he do that? Why did he come to seek and save us? Because he wants to rename you. He wants to give you a new name what he does with Peter at the end of this story. My question for you is, what's your name? Not like, my name is John, but what's the name that you think of yourself as? See, names are, names are powerful. Um, names are initiations into new identities. You, some of you may have been given a nickname at some point in your life that you didn't like, and you resisted it because you, you recognized that there's actually a power exchange between the person who's given you that nickname and yourself. Um, we, we give each other all kinds of nicknames, some of them sweet and fun and nice, and some of them we don't like so much. Um, and we name each other, and some of the most vicious names that we have, we give to ourselves. We name ourselves. Um, I mean, the, this is kind of funny, but like when I was a kid, one of my one of my names, one of the ways that I was identified and known was Picky Eater. I was Picky Eater John, big time. Like I couldn't eat until Chrissy um, got engaged with me. I didn't eat vegetables, like period, like ever. And if I tr- if I tried to, like if I would go over. This was, here's the thing though, like being a picky eater is kind of funny, like, oh yeah, like John only eats peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and hot dogs, oh my gosh, what a weirdo. Um, But like, going over to a friend's house was kind of terrifying, because like their mom would make food, and then I would have to try to eat it, and it'd be super embarrassing, because I have like a really uh, sensitive gag reflex, which is not that uh, fun to whip out at the old uh, family dinner table, you know, when you're with your friends. And uh, anyone else whip out their gag reflex? Anyway, um, I, my, I remember sitting at the table, and my mom and dad are sweet people and they love me. I remember hearing the words, you got to eat your food. Don't you want to be big and strong? And my, my dad is just like six foot six, former college golf player, total stud. And I wanted to be big and strong like him. And when I gagged, (laughs) I didn't feel that way. You know what I felt like? I felt like a wuss. I felt so much shame. I felt weak. And then those are the names that I gave myself. In my head, I'm a wuss. And I spent so much of my life, I still spend a lot of my life trying to prove that I'm not to myself and seeking after that, seeking a new name. 
And I wonder, man, I, know, I, I, I have coffee with you. I have lunch with some of y'all. Like, I know the names that you give yourselves. We're so hard on ourselves. And what's so beautiful about this, about this passage, is we see, we see Jesus come and he's going to give someone a name. And here's my question for you. What do you think the name God has for you right now is? Like, how would he label you? If you're like me, sometimes maybe you would answer that question and say, um, I think maybe like somewhere in the disappointment realm or like annoying, maybe God's annoyed with me or he's, in, he's just kind of ambivalent about me. Or he labeled, you know, something around there. And what we can do is begin seeking a new name, even with, like, how God thinks about us. We will try to give ourselves a new name by trying to be really good. Or, I mean, I just I mean, I go tell everyone about the Bible or about Jesus. So I'm going to start reading my Bible every day. I'm going to promise myself I'm going to do that. And then when I, when I forget, like, a week from now, I'm going to make the promise again. And we do these things, we make these deals, and we, and, and we try to earn this new name. But here's the thing. The good news is, of the Bible is that you don't get to name yourself. That God, it's God who names you. And we see this embodied with this guy named Simon. And Jesus walks up to him, and he says, you're going to be named Cephas. Which in Greek is, means Rock. We're going to Aramaic, Peter. You're going to be Peter, the rock. And here's what's so totally ironic about that. Because when you think about rock, you think about, man, this dude is going to be solid. Like, this, Peter is going to be a stud, just solid guy. You know, rock steady dude that you want to bring home to meet your parents kind of guy. And he is not. Peter Peter is going to constantly get things wrong. He's going to seek after the wrong things. He's going to be a coward. He's going to be proud. You're going to see, you're going to see Peter be called a Satan at some point by Jesus. He's going to curse Jesus. He's going to deny him. Peter's going to fail him. And he doesn't stop there. Even after he sees Jesus resurrected, Peter's going to struggle with racism. Peter's going to have terrible theology. And his name never changes because God's named him. Because he didn't earn the name, it was given to him. And how was it given to him? The way it's given to him is because before we see Peter renamed, Jesus is renamed. Look in the passage again. Verse 36, Jesus is renamed too. And he's renamed by his cousin, John the Baptist, who sees him walking up and John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And you might be thinking, like, why is, he call, why is he calling his cousin a lamb? That's weird. What's he doing there? All throughout the Old Testament, what lambs do in the Old Testament is they die for other people. They die for other people to make them right. They die for other people to save them. They, a lamb dies for Isaac. A lamb dies... In the Passover feast, 
for the Egyptian exodus, for Israel to be saved. A lamb dies over and over and over again when you see the instructions given in the book of Leviticus for what are we supposed to do so that our sins can be forgiven? Sacrifice a lamb. And up walks Jesus, and John the Baptist looks at him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. Earlier in verse 29, you see John the Baptist again looks at him and says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He's saying, that's the Lamb. All the lambs that the Old Testament has been pointing to, he's finally come. The one true and final Lamb is here. Listen to, listen to this prophecy that was written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. Tell me who this sounds like. Isaiah 53, 5-7. Written centuries before Jesus, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Listen to this prophecy. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And John the Baptist renames Jesus, and he says, Behold, that's the lamb that makes you right. That's the lamb who's done it. The way our sins are taken away, the way that you're given a new name, is not by seeking after it and making one for yourself. Because it will end ruling you, like we saw with Andre Agassi. Whatever you seek will rule you. What you want is the one who seeks after you to rule you. Because he has sought after you so much. And I want, you, I want you to know, this is something that is totally different about Christianity from all the other world religions. Is that what Christianity claims is the goal is not for you to somehow be good enough to ascend to God or to nirvana or to, to deity or to whatever, or paradise. What Christianity is saying is that God has actually, he's descended, he has condescended to you to rescue you, that God became a man and he suffered and he died so that you could be rescued because he loves you and he wants to give you a new name. And so what that means, what that means, the name that he offers you, listen, this is earlier in the same chapter, John 1, 12 through 13. This and then I'm, I'm almost done. John 1, 12 through 13, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, who believed in his name, the Lamb's name, he gave the right, here's your name, to become children of God. You were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. What this means, note, it doesn't say they're born of your own will. You're born of being good enough. You're born of being religious enough. You're born of, of you're, you're given a new name because of all your awesome quiet times or all the times you go to church or all the times you show up to RUF or Young Life or crew, whatever it is that you're going to end up getting involved with. That's not what's going to make you right. What's going to make you right is that God's going to name you. And he does it. It says anyone who would believe in him, he gives the right to become children of God. And so what that means is that God loves you so much that he doesn't leave the rescue up to you. He has come to rescue you. And if that's true, what that means is that freedom is awaiting you. Freedom does not have to, to earn your name. Freedom from all the names that you have called yourself even this week. Because what, what the Bible is, is, is telling us is that in Christ, those names aren't true. You are a child of God. And so we can rejoice and we can relax 
and be at peace because we know that we don't earn the merit for the good seat in the courtroom. Just like I couldn't earn that seat, Christ has done it for us, and you can sit in the highest courtroom, the heavenly courtroom, without shame or guilt. And so what we want, what I hope, is that RUF will be a place where you can explore if that's true. I'd love for you to come back and explore that with us. I'd love for you to explore that with us in our small groups. I'd love to sit down over coffee with you and talk about that and examine that with you. Because if there really is a freedom like this, to not have to get others or even God to like you, but to rest in the freedom that God has done for you and offers to you, it's something to be examined. Because we all have to bet on something. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that the Son of Man did come to seek and save the lost. Thank you that we can have a room full of people who are exploring if that's true. Thank you that we can be a place where we can admit our brokenness and our need and come to you and find acceptance through faith in Jesus. I pray for all the ministries all over campus uh, as they get started up. I pray for RUF International for Young Life, for Crew, for Stumo, for Ignite, for Every Nation Campus and all the other campus ministries here that you would bless them. I, play, I pray for people who may never step foot in this room again or come to any RUF thing ever again. I pray you would be with them as they walk through their years here at the University of Texas. I pray that they would find somewhere, some church, some uh, Christian organization to, uh, to find a home in if it's not RUF. And I thank you for them, and I thank you for the way each person here bears your very image. And I pray that they might know you and the peace and freedom of knowing you. And I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.